Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. Hey, keep your mouth shut, 50! I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson. Discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real sound, but you can't take the real sound out of my voice. And now here we go again, twist a little bit of teeth because I got thick skin. Welcome into After the Snap. My name is Blake Ferguson, long snapper for your... Miami Dolphins. I'm here with my co-host, Reed, long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. Reed, what is the dealio? Oh, the dealio. The dealio is I'm drinking a beer and I'm watching some baseball. Watching the Braves, it's 4-4 in the eighth. uh, and They're looking to clinch. And I'm hanging on to the only hope I have of a sliver of fandom left in the in these baseball playoffs now that your team uh, is apparently dominating all of a sudden between the Red Sox, between the Red Sox striking fire and the Astros also clinching a ALCS berth. The Yankees fan base is struggling right now. So the the Atlanta native in you is all that you have left. The Yankees fans are in shambles. And might I say, as I said last week, routinely over the past, I don't know, half decade since I've been really paying attention to this statistic, during the Astros game, they showed the, I think they showed the five recent World Series champions. And then next to it, they showed what their strikeout rate was. And all five of them were in the top four or the bottom four, however you want to look at it. They were the top. They were, they were in the top four for lowest strikeout rate, and I think three of them were number one. The Yankees are power bats. The they Yankees, strike out a ton. Red Sox contact team. Yeah. Houston contact power team. They don't strike out. I mean, it, it's it's right there. They should. The Yankees should just hire me for their analytics department. Just get a bunch of guys that don't strike out. You're gonna have to switch up like half your lineup if that's if that's gonna yeah, happen. No. Anyway, so, but it's the best lineup in baseball, right? Best. I mean, I don't know. That's what they were saying when that's what they were saying when they picked up Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. We'll get into some more baseball talk later as we move on through the pod. But first, let's start with some football recaps. This past week was week five for the NFL. These days are flying and by. Might I just say that they are? They I are. can't believe they really it's already. I mean, we're about to jump into practice for week six. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. It, it really does go fast and. It goes faster when you are playing games. The offseason and the training camp days go by very slow. But once you get into game weeks, it's, I mean, it rolls. This past week, you guys were in KC for Sunday night football. There was a bit of an issue. Small ish, small but lengthy issue. You texted me before the game 
as we were headed to the airport following our game and you were like, it might rain this whole game. I mean, I was checking the radar pretty much the whole time up until warmups. And then I received a picture from mom in our family group message of you and them. Maybe was it just mom? I think it was, I think it was just mom and you. And she was like in her raincoat, like fully full rain suit. I know dad had his rain pants on because he's like never ill prepared. You all had a rain delay. You thought was going to potentially end the game. Yeah. For as much as we were hearing it was going to rain and as much as the radar looked like it was going to rain, it basically didn't rain during warmups, maybe for um, a little bit here and there, and then barely rained in the first half. So, I mean, as we approached halftime, it, it started raining like after the two-minute warning, I think, and we kind of knew there was a big storm cell moving moving in. So we were expecting pr- rain pretty much the whole second half. We got into halftime, and they basically like five minutes into halftime, we were we had run Matt, Tyler, and myself had run back out to go do our, start our warm up for the second half again. We were on the field for about twenty seconds. And then on the screen on the screen in the stadium they flashed, you know, severe weather warning, please find shelter, blah blah blah. So we ran back inside and they gave us a heads up, you know, th- lightning, whatever, thirty it starts at thirty minute clock. So we're waiting a little bit, waiting a little bit, waiting a little bit. About 10, 15 minutes goes by, another lightning strike. Reset the thirty minute clock. We're just kind of it, it, we're we're trying to find that fine line between mentally staying locked in, but also at the same time trying not to stay too busy. You don't want to stay too active during a during a delay because you're gonna, you know, ex- expunge too much energy for the second half. But you're you know, it was late game, so a lot of guys were a lot of guys might have been hungry. They were you know, I had a sandwich, PBJ, which we'll hit on in a few minutes. Uh, a bunch of guys were eating like snacks and stuff. So I think it gave it, it gave guys a little extra time to. I mean, I think it was close to an hour. We were in a, in a rain delay. You know, t- towards the end of it, they kind of gave us a, a little like a fifteen minute heads up. You know, we're going out at this time. We're gonna you're gonna get five minutes to warm up, five minutes to stretch, five minutes to do individual, and then we're you know we're bouncing right into kickoff. So it was kind of funky. Uh, it was the longest rain delay I think I've had in, um, in my career. Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously the team handled it well, and we came out with the dub. No, it, it was it was definitely weird. But uh, hitting on the PBJ thing, did you did you were you able to watch the broadcast? I was asleep by the time that that happened. I don't usually stay up for much of the primetime games. You and I have discussed this yep. before. I I don't watch the primetime games much. Obviously, I turned y'all's on because I wanted to watch you play. I was asleep by halftime, and so I woke. I actually woke up to a, a text from Dad saying, "What are the rules for if there's a rain delay? Like, it, do they finish the game? Like, do they have to cancel it? Right. Does one team win?" And then the next morning, I read more into it, and I saw that there was a peanut butter and jelly dilemma. Yes, I was reading an article. And I saw where some players were complaining about the percentage of peanut butter to jelly. Can you expound on that, please? Because I feel like that this is a 
a conversation that we should have. Yeah. So we were in the in the um, hallway in the tunnel leading down to the field. That was that was kind of where I hung out during the delay, just because you know you could kind of get some fresh air out there instead of being kind of con- confined. Were there, were there other players? Were there other players in there? Because I saw pictures of it looked like guys you and yeah, Matikavich. Yeah, it was me and uh, the yeah, there was a couple of us sitting there. A couple of linemen, I think, were were yeah. hanging out sitting right there in the tunnel, but. So here comes uh, Michelle Tafoya, right, the sideline reporter for NBC for the Sunday night football game. We kind of we recognize her. She's obviously you know dressed up. She's got a you know she's got all her her, her like crew with her and uh, her notebook, notebook and her microphone at a whole nine yards. And yeah. uh, and Freddie Freeman just hit a home run in the bottom of the eighth to deep take the lead. It's a deep drive by yep. Castellanos. Deep drive to left field, a- and that's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, for those who don't get the joke, you might want to look look back just to look last up, year the Reds game. Just look up keep just look up deep drive by Castellanos. Yep. So uh, yeah, so if the Braves can hold on top of the ninth, they're uh, they're going they're moving on anyway. So we were in the t- so here comes Michelle Tafoya and she's kind of you know chopping it up a little bit. And our our PR guy's standing there, Jerk Boyko. He's and he's like you know y'all you can talk to the guys, but he's kind of like turning away other other people like taking pictures and stuff whatever she's she's you know like what do you what do you guys do to stay busy and we're like well we're just kind of hanging out eat, you know some guys are eating stuff and she's like what, what kind of snacks are you eating and you know we're, you know energy gummies pbjs but and then i and i said and somebody i don't remember who it was i think it was spencer brown maybe uh one of the linemen he was sitting there he was like some guys are eating pbjs and i made a comment and i because i had just eaten one and I said, "Yeah, the PB PB and J's have too much peanut butter on them." Were you the one that said yes. that? No it way. Was me. Yes, it was me. <laughs> I had no idea. Yes, it I was me. I had no idea. <laughs> so I said, "You were yes. the one complaining about the ratio." I, well, I wasn't complaining. I really just said because I eat the whole sandwich. Like if I didn't like it, I wouldn't right. eat it. But right. I said, "There's just I said the the peanut butter to jelly ratio is off." It's like those sandwiches are like 75, 25, which is way too much. And and I get it. They want to push the protein. You know, it's, it's energy. It's good for, you know, the healthy fats. Yeah. All that. But I, I, yeah, I I was, so I was the one that made the the comment about the, uh, the too much peanut butter on the PB and J sandwiches. You know, we finished second half, we win the game and we get on, I, I get on the bus later and I see that the team has posted this meme uh, of the final score, right? It's, it was like a 38 to 20 on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm like, that is so weird. Like, what's the meaning behind that? Obviously, because I didn't listen to the broadcast in the second half or at halftime. You know, a little later on, we're like, we're boarding the plane and I'm scrolling like uh, Twitter. I'm like scrolling the, the trending page, right? And I see like PB&J is trending. And I'm like, Okay, so I've put two and two together. I'm like, okay, this something has to be connected here with the team, what they posted. Like, what's the deal? Completely forgetting about the conversation we had at halftime because, like, well, I'm what am I? I'm not not even thinking anything. Right. I'm like, why, why would that, that ever show ever up? On come up? Yeah, right. Yeah, and like we talked. You, you, okay, you had a PBJ sandwich, had too much peanut butter on it. Didn't think, didn't think a bit iota of it. So I click on the PBJ trending tag. And sure enough, the first tweet uh, from Mitch Goldick 
uh, on Twitter. He says, Michelle Tafoya reporting from the tunnel that players are complaining about the sandwiches during the weather delay. Quote, there's too much Peter peanut butter on the sandwiches. It's 70-30 with the jelly. Excellent TV. And I'm thinking to myself, like, holy crap. That, and I still haven't heard the conversation that of what was said on the on air. I'm sure I need to find it somewhere. But I was astounded that that was actually brought up in conversation uh, during the halftime show. So what is the what is the proper PB and J ratio? I've had this conversation with multiple people today. Multiple people. Okay. Um, the answer is I. And personally, like if it's got to be at minimum 50-50, minimum. Yes. I'll say a perfect is probably somewhere between 55-45 and 60-40 peanut butter dominant. So anywhere between 50 and 60, I think, is the sweet spot. Because you obviously don't, you don't want too much jelly, but you don't want too much peanut butter. But peanut butter, there should be more peanut butter on the sandwich. My thinking is I'm thinking 50-50, right? But I'm also thinking about jelly seepage because that is a problem. And I've had it happen on regular peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I've also had it happen on, on the Smucker's Uncrustables that we have in the locker room as well yep. because we have, we have both. The ideal way to make a PB&J, people are going to call me crazy for this take, you have to mix it up. See, I we used to do that and when we were kids, but we eat it out of the bowl. But we would also I never put it, on a, sandwich, it on a sandwich. But it's a good idea. So that's the number one way to do it. If you can't do that, if you don't have time to do that, there has to be peanut butter on both pieces of bread and jelly in the middle because the peanut butter acts as a sealant to keep the jelly from seeping through the bread, and that's the hill that I'm willing to die. Sure. Taking this one step further, how do you feel about ham and cheese? That's not a 50-50 to me. It's a different no, sandwich. There's, there's got to be, in my opinion, there's got to be more ham than cheese. Yeah, I'm, I'm two to one, I think. If it's too cheesy, two to one. If it's too cheesy then I, it's just like, because it won't fill yeah, me up. I may even be three to one. So enough about sandwiches. We seem to, we seem to talk sandwiches a lot on the show. Y'all took a trip to Tampa? This week, we I got to watch a little bit of it on Sunday before I went to the stadium for our game. Tell me about your experience yes. uh, in that stadium for first time, right? Yep, that was my first time. The last time was actually in 2013 when you played in the Outback Bowl. Yes, and we won. You beat Iowa, I think. Correct. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, we had a rough game. We did not win. If there was a highlight f- from it, I would say that it was seeing some of the guys from LSU. They've got several LSU guys on their team. Uh, Leonard. Dev White, Leonard, Kevin Mentor. Oh, that's right. Kevin. And then they also have Richard Robinson, who I never I knew. I remember him. Yep. You were on the team yep. with him. Uh, but it was cool seeing those guys. And I, I got to talk to Kevin Mentor uh, for a little bit after the game. And he, he was always a guy that I, I looked up to and, and he was always really, you know, a good leader when you were on the team with him, he told me how proud he was of me and just that he was pulling for me and just encouraged me to, you know, keep, keep doing what I'm doing. So I, I really 
that one meant a lot to me and just somebody that I've looked up to for a long time, somebody that uh, is a good representative of LSU football. And that was really cool getting to see him as, as well as Leonard and, uh, and Devin. Yeah, so, very cool. He was one of the guys that we, we, we knew really early on in my recruiting process. Because he was from Atlanta. Yeah, uh, Preachery Ridge, I think. Yep. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool to ha- kind of come full circle with that. He he was before me, so he's been he's been playing for a while. Very cool. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's something that for at least for me, and I I would assume you you are the same way. When you play another team, kind of the routine goes that after the game, you go and and talk to the other team specialists, and you know wish them good luck for the rest of the season. You know, just talk about something that might have come up in the game or whatever, and then you go find the LSU guys. Like that's, that's, that's what I always try to do is I always try to you see, know, I, go I and, think, and see, the, see the guys that you played yeah, with. I see. I, it's been a while since I've, I just, I haven't come across many guys that I played with. That's fair. Cause, cause fair. a handful, uh, you know, a handful of them are not playing anymore, you know, off the top of my head, you know, Odell Jarvis. I mean, I have to go back and look, I mean, they're, you know, Daniel Hunter, I don't know if Deshaun Bauer is still playing, you know, some, some you is. know, some guy, you know, there's only a handful of guys from when I was, when I was there, you know, Ethan Posick, guys like that, that are still playing. But a lot of the young guys that, that were on your 2019 team that got drafted that are, you know, really tearing up in the league now, they have, they don't even know who I am. So I just, you know, right. like, like, uh, Clyde, you know, Daryl Williams, I played with him. I saw him before the game. But like Clyde, right. like I don't know Clyde, so it's kind. I don't know if that's kind of. Weird. He probably has no idea that I went to LSU, so it's kind of. I'm in kind of a weird spot with like going up right. to them after the game. That makes but sense. you know, just I don't know if they probably couldn't care less about getting a picture with me. But you you would be di- you know see how yeah, see how it would be different. But I try to see guys that I know that I played with. Well, moving on into something that came up that we. So what we always like to do and what we did last week is talk about some notable things from around the league that that come up as it relates to special teams. And we saw something this past week on Thursday Night Football that was unprecedented. I had never seen it before. Not sure I have either. My my special teams coach, who was also your special teams coach when he was in Buffalo – he said he had never seen it before and he's been in the league for he's been coaching in the league for a, a long time. What happened was the Rams played the Seahawks. The Seahawks were punting, they blocked the punt. Seattle's punter, Michael Dixon, goes the ball, the ball ricocheted run. like straight left and started yes, like spinning. But it's, but it's behind but it's behind, behind the, the line of scrimmage. scrimmage. Started the ball was like spinning so fast. Yes. Uh, the yes. Braves just won. They are advancing to the NLCS. Go Bravos. Deep drive to left field. So Michael Dixon, the athlete that he is, went and picked up the ball with one hand, and instead of running the ball for to get as much yardage as he could, he punts it again. And I didn't see it live. I was probably already asleep. The official ruling in the game was that it, it was a legal. Yes, punt. and it was like I think the I think the net yardage on it was sixty eight yards. Like that, that's yes. nothing to like shrug your shoulder at. Like that's an incredible punt, especially when yep. he was. If you see the highlight, like where he picked it up with one hand, it looked like he was going to run the ball 
yeah. to get the first down. Saw the oncoming defenders. He had some blockers yep. in front of him. Saw the oncoming defenders. Said, "Okay, I'm going to punt this again." Punted it sixty. It went rolled a little bit. Sixty eight yards yep. downfield. It landed. The crazy thing is somewhere from he hit it somewhere from like around the twenty yard line all the way down to like the twelve. Yeah. It was unbelievable flipping the field like that is you you can't ask for any yeah. better the crazy thing to me is a it stood i mean obviously the i think that you know we had a couple conversations i think the official ruling correct me if i'm wrong should have been illegal man downfield because the it, because the ball because was he because he punted it, it and it was still behind the line he was he was one yard past the line of scrimmage when he punted it and that's why it should have been oh see i thought he was behind i thought he was behind because that's no, reviewable. So I, I actually talked to I actually talked to our our team's coach about it. He said that only on the first punt are you governed by the original rules of punt. So, so after like, it's blocked, the, so the gunners the gunners yeah. can run downfield, and then the the interior guys can run downfield after the punt is off. But if it's punted again, it doesn't matter who's downfield. Interesting. The only one that matters is obviously the punter. So if he if he's a yard past it when he punts it, that would be illegal. But if he's if he's behind the line of scrimmage and everybody else is downfield, it would be one hundred percent legal. Okay. Interesting. Well, I just learned something on the spot. I thought yeah. that I thought that it would have been, that it should have been illegal man downfield because well, I thought that he was in front. I thought that he was behind the line because all you have to do all you have to have is just. A little bit of your body behind the line. You could have your leg right. and three and and two arms, literally three arms, two arms yeah, in front some, of the line. As long as one foot's behind the line, you're legal. And I thought that's what it was. Has to be touching the line of scrimmage. Right. No, I, I think he was. I think he was in front of the line of scrimmage by like a yard or Interesting. so. Interesting, but yeah, crazy. Yeah. I mean, 68 yards downfield. That was it. Was I mean, it was a huge swing in the game uh even though you know they ended up losing but yeah one of one of the crazier special teams plays that you'll that you'll probably see mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, lastly, in our NFL Week 5 recap, I was watching the Monday Night Football last night, and I was over at one of my teammates' houses. About five minutes left in the second quarter, up flashes Adam Schefter on the screen. And he is breaking the news that John Gruden officially resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And for many, you know the story of what happened. There were emails that were investigated for some racial, some misogynistic, some homophobic uh, language. Those eventually made made their way to the league. He was likely forced to resign. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about once that happens, the fallout. from the player perspective, what happens? Does everything go on as normal? Does everything, does business just continue as normal after that? They did announce that Rich Bisaccia, the special teams coordinator, would act as the interim head coach. 
Yeah, so I think that plays a big part into it when you have, and I don't have any, actually, I take that back. I do have minimal experience with a coach being fired in season. My rookie year in 16, Rex Ryan got let go after week 16, and we had an interim coach for the last game of the season. From a specialist standpoint, I think it's a smart move to make the special teams coordinator the interim head coach. Uh, I, you know, I can't speak for the OC or the DC there. I know Basashia has been in the league for a while, so he's got some some credit there. But also, from a coaching and player, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know what the right word is. Not player morale, but uh, from a player recognition standpoint, uh, you know, the special teams coach usually, you know, has his hand on the majority of the team. You know, you know, the four phases. He's, t- you know, he's he's got he, DBs. He's got linebackers. He's got potentially some DNs. O-line is used for field goal block. You know, D, the whole D-line is on field goal, you know, or uh, I mean O-line is for field goal protection. The whole D-line is field goal block. You know, linebackers, DBs, receivers, tight ends, running back, you know, the, the third or fourth running back may play special teams. You know, he's basically coaching 90% of the team with, with exception to some of the star players that don't play special teams. So from that point of view, you know, a lot of, a lot of players would be familiar with their special teams coach as opposed to the OC or the DC where, you know, half the team doesn't really have any prior interaction with you. Smart move there, you know, does everything continue as normal? I mean, you, from a, from my perspective, I would probably want it to continue as close to normal as possible just because, I mean, it's such a, it's such a weird circumstance in an unfortunate circumstance. You know, as far as far as my mental routine goes, does this change how I operate from my position on a day to day basis? Probably not. I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here. I mean, I don't know how much would change day to day because I it's I think they're going to try to resume as much as normal as possible uh, to try to not draw so, uh, as big of a light on it. And I think you'd have to because there's are a, still a winning team and they're right. having a good like they they've won three good games to start the year they're three and two you're going into week six so it's yeah a long, I mean, you, lot of football you left find, you have to have some semblance of order because if you don't then it can it can go downhill quick in my opinion he's not going to come in there and completely change the schedule and how things are working and try to try to overhaul the entire organization because there, there's no reason for that. They were winning. They were, they were performing well, uh, you know, up to this point. And so I, I would expect that he would continue business at quote unquote business as normal as much as possible in that aspect. hundred uh, percent. But I do, I, I will say that, that as far as the player morale thing, it's a, it's, it's a little bit different in college my second year, 2016, Coach Miles was fired after the fourth game. He struggled through the 2015 season where you and I were there together, ended up Texas A&M, the final game. They, we, we won, and, and he kept his job. Well, four games into 2016, ended up firing him. So that was, a, I feel like, a different situation from what's happening here. 
I feel like that the the focus still has to remain on what you're there to do, right? And that's to win football, win football games. games. No matter no matter who is standing at the front of the room when you start your team meeting every morning, it doesn't matter who you know who's making the itinerary for the whatever it doesn't like it doesn't matter that's my experience with a coach being fired mid-season but it was for different reasons obviously so i i there's there's some comparison but not really do you have anything else on the gruden situation no that that was kind of it i mean i i was curious to hear kind of how you would relate it to uh when less miles left uh but i think you know bottom line try your hardest to limit limit it from a distraction standpoint and you know like you said at the end of the day you're there to win games you, you kind of got to go to work tomorrow how do we keep that number one in our frame of mind uh with that we will hit on uh something that uh hits very close to home for uh the both of us blake and myself as well as many of our as listeners as well as many of our listeners our beloved tigers are struggling mightily uh, and it's hard to watch. Um, LSU played at Kentucky uh, this week. LSU was uh, going into the game. They were 3-2, and two, uh, unranked, and going into play. Kentucky, who was ranked 16, and I believe they were 5-0, and oh, coming off uh, a big win against Florida. Where does the panic meter stand for you? I will say this. It was hard to watch the game on Saturday and see the guys – not look motivated to play. That is something that Coach O has always done really, really well. That is what he hangs his hat on is being able to motivate and energize his players. 100%. And you can, I mean, that you're speaking and, to that because you were there with him. That and recruiting are his two specialties. And so for a team of Coach O's to come out onto the field and play with a lack of motivation to me tells a lot about where the team stands. If it was 10 on the, on the panic meter, he would have already been fired by now because it, we are recording this on Tuesday night and they played three days ago. I think it's probably at like a seven or an eight because they went five and five last year, all conference games and they're three and three right now. And they are about to, Take on the toughest part of their the, schedule. The, the toughest part of their schedule, including Florida. I mean, just Alabama, yep. Arkansas, Florida, Ole Miss, A&M. Alabama, Arkansas, and A and M. Ole Miss. I didn't even. I didn't even include. If Ole you Miss, so. were to ask me right now, if I said over under half a game, they're going to win. <laughs> the way that they played. The way that they played Saturday night. I. And it's it really if they is play sad the way they win and, Saturday and, night, they're going to lose to Louisiana Monroe. It is hard for me to say that in any way possible because I there are still guys on the team that I played with, and it's hard for me to go from winning a national championship in 2019, less than two years ago, to now talking about firing Coach O. It blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. Yep. I mean, if I had to be picky, I would probably say an eight. I think that's a. I fair, mean, I think it's eight. Judgment. I think it's an eight for basically for one reason, and that and that's the scheduling that we just talked about. I mean, there is a potential that they go four and eight. 
and their only yeah, win for the rest of the yeah. season would be Louisiana Monroe. It's a shame that we have to have that this kind of conversation because for so long there's been a standard set where there is excellence at LSU and it started with you don't recruit you you don't re, started, rebuild you reload. Right, that's right. It started with guys like Andrew Whitworth and worked all the way up through what appears to have ended in 2019. There were a couple of bright spots last year. I mean, you look You're at right. look at you this year. You don't re, you don't rebuild. You reload. Exactly. And that's you have you have to in in the SEC West. Right. You cannot play a schedule that difficult and expect to have a down year. It just cannot happen. No, I agree. I mean, you look at it and you look and say, okay. Alabama's going to be strong every year. Ole Miss, with Lane Kiffin, he's going to have them ready to roll every year. I mean, you, you, over the last, what, 15 years, who are the weaker teams? Arkansas, Mississippi State. Mississippi State, we beat them by three points. And Arkansas's, guess what? Arkansas has got a quarterback now. a really now. good team. And A&M, and A&M just, just knocked Alabama. off Alabama. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you like you just said, I mean, I'm echoing your talking point. You can't expect to face this schedule year in and year out and not bring your A game every time. I mean, it happened when I was it happened when I was there. We lost to Arkansas twice. We lost to Ole Miss. We I believe we lost to Mississippi State. I mean, it happens. I don't want to get on my high horse, but like, good grief. Let's talk about something that is a little more encouraging and something that we can all celebrate. I should I should watch my words because our grandparents are listening to this. And for those who don't know, our grandparents live in Birmingham, Alabama, and both are alums of the University of Alabama. And season ticket holders. And season ticket holders. And our aunt went to Alabama, and our two oldest cousins are currently at Alabama. We've got a little bit of crimson in the fam. On, our, on our mom's side of the family. But this is our podcast. <laughs> and on our podcast, we talk about LSU losing, and we can also talk about family yes. losing. Texas A&M hosted the Alabama Crimson Tide this past Saturday evening for a primetime CBS matchup. CBS gets in one what, night game a year. In what should not really have been that great of a matchup. A&M came into the game unranked. They have had quarterback issues. They've had their fair share of struggles this year. But they went toe-to-toe with the Alabama Crimson Tide for the entire game and were winning, I believe, for 90% of the game. Went into halftime with the lead. Didn't surrender the lead in the second half, I don't believe. Ended up with a tie game at the last second – and Seth Small hits the game-winning field goal. Did you watch the I game-winning watched, kick? No, I, I didn't mean, know. did you see the highlight? I did. Yes. I swear he was going to miss. It looked like it was going left. It looked like he hooked it. By left. the yes. grace it of like who he, knows what, that ball hooked in. I have no idea how, but that's it, so, that. Honestly, that is sometimes what it takes to beat the team on the other sideline. And that that does bring us to our. After the snap, clutch snap of the week, Mr. Connor Choate from the Texas A&M Aggies. Game-winning field goal snap 
28-yard field goal to win the game. Congrats to Connor and Seth Small. There were a lot of happy Aggies on Saturday night. Yes. And a lot of other happy SEC West fans. Yes. And congrats to Connor. I saw I was looking up his Twitter page uh, so I could so we could shout him out from the podcast account. Uh, and he follows I got it looks like he follows my personal account, so uh, he might be listening. So shout out to Connor. Well that's a wrap on the football side of things for this podcast. Let's get into a little bit of baseball chatter, shall we? Our latest baseball update as uh, as we sit here and watch the uh, Giants-Dodgers face off in game four of the NLDS. We have an ALCS matchup. Astros and Red Sox both won their uh, respective series in four games. Uh, the Red Sox were... I, I believe I didn't look at the odds, but I think they were significant underdogs. Obviously, going up against the top top seeded Rays, that they split uh, one and one in uh, the Trop down in Tampa, and then they obviously took both games uh, in Fenway the last two nights. So, uh, congrats to them. As much as that hurts me to say, uh, you still have to wear my Yankees jersey uh, in a couple weeks. So, the the, the victory right. is mine. When the Red Sox go to the World Series, we will place another bet. Sure, no problem. I'll happily shake your hand on that. Pretty notable that the Red Sox advanced by winning games uh, three and four in Boston uh, on walk-offs. Both of them. Both of them yes. on walk-offs. So pretty impressive. That that's I mean that's that's as clutch as clutch gets. Congrats to Boston. I know you are ecstatic about that. Uh, and you're you're going to be locked in for the ALCS against uh, against Houston, but it was pretty it was pretty tough to watch them on uh, on Sunday night <laughs> go 13 innings, 13 innings of baseball, and then they ended up walking it off. But it was it was tough watching that game because there were so many opportunities in those four innings to win the game that were just squandered. They were able to get it done in the last two games, both on walk-offs, and I'm sure Yawkey Way was a party. It was a vibe. Yawkey Way was a whole vibe. A vibe yep. So, um, yep, so congrats to Boston. That's the last time I'm saying it. On the flip side, the Astros won their – Series also in four games uh, against the Chicago White Sox, which uh, many believed were going to beat Houston just because they kind of ran away with the division, felt like they kind of were hot all year. Um, They have a lot of young superstars uh, in their lineup. They struggled uh, pretty heavily defensively in this series from the games that I was able to watch. When you're playing Houston, you know, Houston's playing for the World Series, if, if that makes sense. They're not... They, the Houston Astros don't play to make it to the playoffs. They don't play to win their division. They don't play for the ALDS. They don't even play for the ALCS. They're playing for those seven games in the World Series for who, from whoever comes out of the NL. I hope that makes sense. They didn't even really blink twice playing Chicago. I mean, they lost one. They lost game two. Or, I mean, sorry. They lost game three in Chicago. Uh, they won the first two, obviously, at home in Houston. But... 
and and it showed. I mean, they they came out with a big statement win uh, in Game Four, scoring a ton of runs. So Houston, we kind of know over the past four or five years, we know what they are. Altuve, Correa, you know, they've got Jordan Alvarez who can just smack the ball now. You know, they're always going to have pitching. But, I mean, they, they've got a lineup that, that would scare just about anybody. They were a heavy favorite, I think, from the AL just, you know, to win the World Series from the get-go. So, and they're current, you know, they're pretty much living up to it now. So, I, uh, I think I picked them to win last week when we talked about it. I'm going to have to pick them again to beat Boston just just purely on expectation and where they are as a team from a experience standpoint, a playoff experience. I mean, basically their whole team or the majority of their team was there a couple years ago when they won the World Series. Needless to say, I mean, I you know, I think Boston will give them a good series. I mean, Boston's on a roll right now. Fenway, you know, they 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 they're playing really well at Fenway right now. So I'll probably say Houston, Houston in six. I think Boston will stretch it out. You already know who I'm taking in that series, and so we will just skip that. We'll go straight to the NL. Atlanta won tonight three games to one, and San Francisco and the Dodgers are playing right now. Dodgers are up one nothing, bottom of the second, and if the Giants can pull this one out, it would be Atlanta, San Francisco, ALCS to go to the World Series. Is that the same series from last year? No, no was, the Dodgers. Yeah, Dodgers, Braves. Dodgers, Braves. Yep. Not Dodgers, Braves. Uh, the Braves were up 3-1 yep. um, and came back. And, and uh, I believe Cody Bellinger hit a home run late in game seven to kind of seal it. So let's play the hypothetical game. Okay. Giants pull it out tonight. Go on to... The NLCS taking on Atlanta. Yep. Who who are you taking? I, I think hypothetically speaking, I think I'm going Braves regardless. I okay. think the Braves are so hot right now. And I've watched almost all of their baseball, the they're almost all of their playoff games. They look like they're just having so much fun. I'm gonna go Braves regardless because they want vengeance from last season. That's a bold statement. But I like it. I'm here for it. I'll take Braves either way as well. I'll I'll, I'll jump in the boat with Love you it. because we are Atlanta natives, and though we though we cheer for our respective AL East nemesis nemesises nemesis AL East rivals. <laughs> That is one thing that we can both get behind is that we do love our Bravos. Hopefully, it's an Atlanta-Boston World Series. Kind of last thing on baseball, I saw a, a pretty cool thing from over the weekend. I don't, I don't know how many people are aware of Mattress Mac down in Houston. He's pretty noteworthy. He's placed a lot of large bets uh, on the Astros or on Houston. He loves his Astros. Yeah, Houston-based uh, sports teams. He, he owns a large furniture store. And basically what he does is he's betting, he's betting a certain amount and the deal he gives his customers is whatever they buy while the, during the playoff period, you know, if you keep your receipt or whatever, if the Astros win the championship, 
you get your furniture for free or a like up to a certain amount maybe people just go nuts right they're they everybody loves mattress mac in Houston I mean Erica raves about him right like the furniture I've never been I'm sure we'll go when we're you know trying to fill up our our new house down there next spring I mean people just rave about mattress mac he's just the best he opened up like his 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 whole store for people to stay in during the hurricane a couple years ago so like from a goodwill standpoint, I mean, he has just, he's done amazing things for the city of Houston. He's also, also sounds like he's a pretty smart businessman yes. because, yes. because why would you not get behind the emotion of, oh yeah, of course the Astros are going to win the, win the world series. Exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to put my money on, on them winning the world series and I'm going to go buy a couch because I think that they're going to win it and I'm going to get it for free. Yep. Genius. Exactly. Genius. Pure genius. So, um, I mean, the article that I saw noted that he would receive, if the Astros won the World Series, he would receive somewhere around in the in the region of twenty two million dollars. That's insane. Which would be the largest single bet payout in U.S. history. That would more than cover the cost of all of the furniture that hundred percent being given away. hundred yeah, percent. <laughs> I have a hard time believing but he's also, making $22 million of revenue in this playoff period. But on the flip side, what he's uh, risking, he's probably making that with the furniture, obviously, or close to it. So it's probably a near, you know, obviously he, his, his team has run the numbers and everything, but it's probably a near, if the Astros lose, it's probably a near wash for him in terms of what he risked on the bet and what he's gaining from the sales. Thought just very notable. I mean, he, he pops up every year almost uh, with the Astros being so good lately. Um, but pretty cool, pretty cool deal that I, I, I find to, interest in. Shout out to Mattress Mac for his unwavering support of the Houston Astros. Yes. I think he's done some other Houston, like like maybe the Rockets and other other stuff, yeah. but most notably the Houston Astros. Well, that's a wrap on this week's pod. Thank you as always for listening. We love our listeners and we love our subscribers. So if you would be so kind as to go and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. That would be very much appreciated. And as always, you can find us on social media at After the Snap Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We will see you soon. Next Thursday, we will be right here. This has been After the Snap, tales from two brothers who live life upside down.